0: You're listening to the special Canada Day edition of the Green Majority podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Just to remind you as well, if you can, this is a great time uh, to help support the Green Majority as we continue to expand our operations and improve our program. You can become a member and get on the inside track by joining us at greenmajority.ca. Uh, you can uh, click on the How You Can Help button or just go straight to Patreon, skip the middleman, P A T R E O N dot com slash Green Majority. Enjoy the show. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. It is, as we are live recording this here, technically the beginning of the Canada Long Day weekend. And I would also like to point out Pride. Mm. So happy to Canada and happy to all LGBT spectrum people as well to start the show. We have an exciting program today for a variety of reasons and not just because I'm going to probably leave here and go um, start an early day midday party. Uh, also because we have several uh, things of note. We have some uh, interesting news, of course, but we're also joined once again, uh, probably more in the second half. He may jump in in the early part, but a uh, recent previous guest as well, which we're happy to have back as well, uh, David Gray Donald, who's going to be talking to us uh, a little bit about uh, the ongoing epic of her nations issues in this case grassy narrows uh here in canada as well as i'm sure a few other things will get tied into that as well i also would like to welcome back to the program after a far too long time away Ma, uh, sabina of course great to be back (laughs) as well we have uh, sabina and stefan in the studio and and you didn't think there was going to be an and there did you and we have guest music Host, I guess guest DJs in the house as well i 'll introduce them before we go to our first music break but a, a, an action packed uh, and, uh, and and full studio today uh, with that i'm actually going to throw to Stefan to introduce our opening news uh, I will simply tease that we have a whole bunch of international news at the end of the program so it 's all news all day today uh, but we're going to start
1: locally Stefan you know, I figured uh, as, as as you know we here on our on our you know because we, we have a podcast that goes and also we're somewhat syndicated across across states so the United States, yes, today is Canada Day. Uh, so it's a little canada focus today, and we're going to start with a dash of patriotism uh, and then slowly disintegrate it throughout the show. <laughs> <laughs> that is the Canadian way, so. Yes, exactly. Uh, so we're starting, actually, with a quick story about uh, Canada ranking second uh, on, a, on, a, on a social progress index measuring quality of life. We're number two. We're number two. Uh, there's a there's a large story here actually talking about the difficulty of actually tracking social progress and how GDP uh, is not uh, is you know is not is an imperfect uh, metric of how well people are doing. Um, and if but, I can just jump in for a second, that was actually my favorite line of that entire entire article. Is like the second line, and it's like, "Turns out GDP isn't perfect." Huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh. And it has like a throwaway line about how bombs are good for GDP, and it's in the middle of the middle of the entire thing. <laughs> um, but uh, but we uh, we're going to actually cover a slightly different part of this, uh, although because we, we've sort of I think we've sort of beat we've we've beat down I think the the GDP isn't perfect on the show. Right. Uh, we've well, no, we haven't said it for a couple weeks. so We'll say it again. GDP is not perfect. Uh, uh, but I think we can we can move on from that one. What I want to talk about really is that. So here's a it's a whole interesting thing. The social progress imperative uh, has this wide range of different indexes that they that they focus they, they focus on. Uh, Canada does quite well uh, on on some of the ones you'd expect. Uh, you know things like advanced education um, and in inclusion, uh, which we you know we like to we like to we like to sort of as Canadians get to rally ourselves around that sort of thing. Uh, but what's interesting about this is. Uh, and again, I, before I get to that last part, I, there's also some odd ones as well. I want to call it that one of the social products product index is the amount of uh, mobile telephone subscriptions you have, uh, which just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think it uh, makes sense in some cases, but to rank Canada poorly because, we don't, because everyone doesn't have a cell phone seems like an odd metric. Uh, but, I think I could justify it, but that's not, it's okay. not relevant. All right, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, uh, you know, I think in part it's, 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 it's imp- again, maybe I should just say that everything's imperfect. We'll go back to our, our vegan episode <laughs> eh? context is everything and everything's <laughs> imperfect. Uh, but what I want to get to really is that Canada uh, identifies itself uh, a lot by our, by our nature and our environment. Uh, and that, according to this index, is one of the major places we've fallen down. Uh, and, and with that sort of and of course this is being an environment show uh, we're going to focus on that today. Uh, And with that sort of brief interlude, I'm not going to throw it at M.A. to sort of frame the show.
2: Yeah, thanks, Stefan. I think it comes as no surprise given the position of the conservative government that had been in place that we've fallen down and that our progress has disintegrated on those kinds of indicators. Um, You know, we need to look at that as measured against other countries, but just for our own internal health and well-being that we're not doing well in those areas. So in this show, we're going to do a bit of a Canada in review session here. So we're going to look at the major developments that have happened under a new government, basically starting from the beginning of the year. And for this first section, what we want to talk about is something that has dominated the airways, which is the notorious discussion and often divisive discussion on pipelines, So we've had a major decision come down, major court decision. So we're going to start there by looking at the recent Northern Gateway decision, and then we're going to talk about the other pipelines and the sort of political landscape uh, and positioning that's been happening around this issue.
1: Yeah, great. Um, and so the so the four major the pipelines, of course, uh, that we that that were sort of in discussion right now are Northern Gateway, Energies, Keystone XL, and Kinder Morgan. Uh, Kinder Morgan, we're going to leave to the side of today's show. Uh, Keystone XL, of course, was rejected uh, by, uh, by the Obama administration late last year. Some people uh, – I think that uh, – this is fascinating. The conservative government uh, – so f- four members of the conservative government have been actually uh, using the fact that – I think it was a, I think it was a, it was American reporters have discussed that the election of Trudeau made it easier for Obama to reject Keystone XL. And so the conservative, uh, conservative Canadians are sort of attacking Trudeau on this fact. Uh, which I think is, is is fascinating.
0: How dare you be elected? Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and allow a foreign government that is this, arguably the, you know, one of the superpowers of the world to be influenced by Canadian politics. Yeah, you should have taken a hard line with the Americans <laughs> and told them what to... Oh, wait, Harper tried that. <laughs> and not to mention that Trudeau campaigned on getting Keystone approved. Anyways. <laughs> uh, um, just
2: one point on that Keystone XL uh, issue is that now TransCanada has gone and... to put a lawsuit forward under NAFTA against the US government for 15 billion, which is approximately double the cost of the actual project uh, itself. And I think it's just interesting to kind of look at this as the shoe being on the other foot, because we've had a lot of American companies come in and sue Canada under NAFTA, making Canada the most sued, quote unquote, developed country in the world. Um, And now we've got one of our companies, not that I say that with any sort of pride at uh-huh. all, um, going and suing the U.S. government, who has, by the way, never lost a NAFTA lawsuit under the mechanism, the court mechanism, or the legal, rather, the legal mechanism under NAFTA before. So it'll be interesting, again, in quotes, to see how this plays out.
1: Uh, uh, although, of course, uh, before that even gets to the courts, Trump's going to get elected and repeal NAFTA, so mm-hmm. they'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and build that pipeline. <laughs> now, here's, here's one thing, and I don't know if anyone else can answer this for me. I read the, I read what
0: I'm assuming is the same article you guys did, and a lot of the stuff on social media that was being taken away was, woo, down goes another pipeline. That really doesn't seem to be what actually happened. So what it seemed to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that you know the courts essentially said you have to go back and do this again, and you have to actually... Legitimately talk to First Nations people this time, but that didn't require them to follow the what the request of the First Nations people were. It seems to me to be a speed bump, not a brick
1: wall. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, but you're also we did not tease what actually you're talking yes, about. Yes, we need to introduce oh, well, sorry, the case
2: itself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because
1: what we're talking about here is the Northern Gateway Pipeline, uh, right. which is the subject of the largest news story of, of the day. Sorry, about uh, that. no worries. <laughs> uh, I, I like it. It's, it's like a trailer for the actual conversation. <laughs> uh, so yes, the Northern Gateway Pipeline approval was. Overturned, and that headline sounds massive, right? That headline is is a is an attention grabbing headline, uh, and it's because the federal court of appeal finds that Canada failed to consult uh, with First Nations on a, on pipeline project. Uh, so this is one of the ongoing uh, court battles that First Nations are consistently fighting uh, against the Canadian government to, to to really have their territory respected, yeah. uh, and this one happened to happen to go. Uh, Go the way of, of First nations uh, and, and and yes, basically it said that you did not successfully consult them uh, which but of course what 's interesting about this is usually you 're right the, the, it 's from what it sounds like, it sounds like basically they 're like going back to interest so first of all, it should be noted that. The Court did think that the actual company running this did successfully actually consult them, and it was the, it was the federal government that failed to
2: uh, and I, think so, they, I think they thought that both had failed, actually really I, yeah all right. yeah, but there was one there was a dissenting view of one judge who felt that due diligence had in fact been done on mm. that
1: um so the so so the point is that the exact phrase is undisclosed, undiscussed, and unconsidered uh that and what's yeah but what's interesting about this course is that what it's really saying here uh is Go back and, and and talk again. Not not that you can't. Not this ever be, like. Not that it's ever cannot be approved. But of course, what the real story here isn't so much that this particular thing happened. It's the growing momentum against uh, Northern Gateway, especially as it still faces the climate test. And the Trudeau government campaigned on saying that there'll be no tankers in the uh, uh, in in the waters where Northern Gateway would require there to be tankers. So th- the chances of this pipeline are 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 very low. Uh and, and and this is just one more blow to that entire thing. Uh the the eco justice lawyer uh Barry Johnson says between on the grand opposition and the federal government's promises to keep BC's North Coast tanker free and demonstrate climate leadership, this pipeline is never getting built. Uh and I think you, you sort of have to uh, I personally agree with him. Uh and I think that a lot of the ways are pointing that direction. Uh, what's the, the for me the story real here is that yes this isn't getting built but what does that mean for energy east uh, the other pipeline that is coming that is that is coming east instead of west uh, and every sign I'm seeing seems to point to the idea that that Northern Gateway will be the will be the thing that is sacrificed to to push energy east if they if they if, and uh, we said this before on the show and we said it again i think that's that's what to look for here it's not so much that like if they build both i'll be blown away and incredibly depressed uh but i think you're much more likely to see northern gateway and Energy's decisions come around at the same time NRG's will get approved northern gateway won't which will at least to some extent coalesce opposition against pipelines to one pipeline mm-hmm. uh which which could be helpful for for those of us in the activist community
2: yeah, I tend to agree with you, Stefan. And I, I'm going to jump in and fact check myself. Actually, you're right. Um, the ruling did say that they felt that Northern Gateway had done those consultations. Uh-huh. But I've, I mean, I think it's obvious to point out uh, the irony in that In, in that, um, if that had actually been the case, um, would this have been so actively pursued by the First Nations in the legal system if they'd felt that they'd actually been ade- adequately consulted by Northern Gateway um, in the first place? So, but in terms of the bigger picture, I think what we're seeing is that this new government is really positioning its strategy to do exactly what you've described, Stefan, because they've come out and overtly said that they see pipelines as being part of the solution, part of the transition to this cleaner economy. So in a way, you could see that they are positioning um, Energy East as the pipeline that's going to facilitate, you know, domestic Uh, growth and investment and spur us onward and we're going to use the you know the wealth that's generated by having this trans this cross canada pipeline to advance those aims and we all know that the science doesn't support that obviously but i think for me the the most important thing is that this really has been positioned by the proponents of Energy East as a great regional divide and, you know, basically implying that those who do not support it – and we've seen a lot of opposition not only from Indigenous peoples but also from the province of Quebec where a lot of the local mayors came out on behalf of their municipalities to say they didn't support it – and then were really – really aggressively attacked by a lot of the Western political leaders saying that, you know, that Canada as a whole had gained from the, you know, wealth of the tar sands. And now that, you know, places like Alberta was suffering, that they were just being unsupportive. And in a way, you know, this whole rhetoric is very much like what we've seen coming out of the U.S., that it's almost Mm anti-Canadian not to support Energy East.
1: It's the Rex Murphy argument, (laughs) you know, The, uh, the Alberta tar sands were there for us to give us jobs. And now we must be there for them, and it's just sort of like that. The 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 amount of idol- ideology required to make that sentence make sense is is sort is mind blowing. Yeah,
0: and it's it's because uh, it's because from people on that side of the political spectrum in general. Um, but just you know, it's hard to group people that way. But. Uh, there just seems to be, and it's something I've noticed after you know listening to hundreds of thousands of hours of you know news reports and reading you know thousands and thousands of articles over the year, uh, that people who are fighting against these types of things, like fighting against climate regulation, fighting for pipelines, and saying that you people that say that you're unCanadian if you don't support it, or that you're foolish if you don't support it, are all people that apparently can only calculate information that have to do with the next fifteen minutes. Yes, if you do one-sided accounting and you sell a bunch of oil, great, five billion dollars but they refuse to admit that that 5 minutes later you have an 8 billion dollar bill for damage done by climate change like it's it's they think that we're denying the first number they think that we're denying that oil is valuable and rather than the fact that they are rejecting the fact that there's two-sided accounting here and that there are costs that come with that and it's so infuriating it's 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 as infuriating every single person that every person within range of my voice right now regardless of as a recording has been in a situation where someone has treated them con especially if you're a woman has been treated by someone condescendingly about how foolish you are for thinking something that is so obviously and easily provably wrong. Everyone has had that experience once in their life. Women generally have it about once a day, at least. This is what we're talking about. We're, people like Rex Murphy, people like, even like Justin Trudeau, who are going out and saying, oh, come now, you're be serious. Really? If you want to put facts on the table, well, let's do this. Well, but I it's think, but their only argument oh, is, come on, let's be serious.
2: Well, I just you know find it really interesting that it's so blatantly obvious that all these tar sands workers have lost their jobs, and that our response to that is to double down on the same strategy that it has led to this mass unemployment, um, which is genuinely a concern and genuinely a hardship for a lot of people out west. But if a, if a strategy fails, and is evidenced by people losing their jobs why would we then double down and invest in that same strategy? It makes but, absolutely Sugar's no sense. delicious.
1: If you eat a ton of it, you get diabetes. You know what cures diabetes? More sugar. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you, we didn't send, uh, when the fish stocks collapsed and they let ocean. our solution wasn't to send more fishermen out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Way I to think- one-up my metaphor. Way yeah. to go, Thank you. <laughs> uh, but I think, but I think the, the, what's interesting about that is not only, you don't even have to go as far as you did, Darren, to actually make an argument against against the sort of decision-making. It's the same as, when you're looking at uh, Donald Trump arguing saying that we're going 're we're going to create all the new energy you know coal wasn 't killed by climate regulations coal was killed by natural gas uh, and, 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 and the reason why reason why people are laid off in the, in, in, in the West wasn 't because of the wasn 't because of climate regulations it was because the price of oil dropped so to be unsustainable and it 's still there it has not rebounded uh, and that is the reason for the problems none of the, the problems uh, may have been exacerbated by their inability to get the you know, to get as like to slightly lower the transportation costs, but no amount of lowering the transportation costs can make what currently exists in the ground a viable market uh, in the price of oil right now. So basically you have to sit around hoping at some point the price will come back up and then you'll be fine. But that's a that's a ridiculous economic decision for a, for a serious company. No serious company would be like, "Okay, I knew we you know our cars right now are $20,000. We can make a car for $50,000 and then we'll be making money. Let's just wait until cars cost more money." This is brilliant. <laughs> uh, like again, like the oil oil obviously is a fluctuating market, but It's been Iran. There's no signs of of a a a decreasing. OPEC has not has not come together to actually raise the cost of oil. They've in fact had multiple conversations in which it seems like it's going to stay low. Iran's oil is coming on board now, so it's only going to keep the market low. And the idea that we're going to solve this. So all this, and again, I think it's truly a economic crisis Canada is facing to keep these people employed, but to do so in a way that was fundamentally against what we understand the economy exists right now doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's, it's a, ch- a chasing-your-tail game.
0: There is no amount – it doesn't matter if you're talking about one, one milliliter or 100 million barrels. There is zero amount of oil that can ever be sold at any price that any reasonable person – even the people making the arguments that I'm, that I'm condescendingly talking to right now – where you can make more money off that oil than the long-term cost of the climate change it will impact zero amount there's no magic number so trudeau is just wrong mm-hmm. he's just wrong uh and there there is no amount so anyone that anyone that's out there listening uh or anyone that's ever heard that argument there is no amount there's no there's no amount of oil that produces more value for us than the amount of damage it was going to do that we're gonna have to pay for so it's a loss every time you pull oil out of the ground it's now a loss the fact that that isn't mixed into the economics is not the environmentalist problem that's the people arguing for its problem
1: if i can tease a story we're talking at the end uh moody's has a thing to say about that one of the uh one of the uh largest uh crediting agencies uh uh, so I'm, I feel like we 're going to save that to the third section, but someone agrees with you and it's a and it 's a large uh, and it 's a large crediting agency that <laughs> recently also just downgraded britain 's uh, um, credit from the triple A, which is just a fun fact for the day
0: so what, uh, Emmy, why don 't you get the last comment
2: on yeah, this? yeah, we'll just one break. more point before we go to our music break, which is that the government uh, this year said that it was going to implement the UN DRIP. So that is the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. And why I'm raising this now is that I think what we're seeing is a government that wants to say yes to everything. They want to say yes to addressing climate change, but they also want to say yes to pipelines, and they want to say yes to a renewed relationship with Indigenous peoples in this country. But if we're really going to implement UN DRIP, which includes you know the key principle of free prior and informed consent so seeking that for example in advance of these resource projects being implemented how can these things not be on a collision course? So I really think that our new government is setting itself up to be in a lot of hot water when all these things that they're saying yes to start to collide. So I just wanted to leave off on that point that this was actually quite a major step as a, as a country to say we're going to implement this. But what does it mean when we start looking at pipelines? And with that, I'll hand it back to Darren.
0: All right. So that's a good place for our music break. Uh, we will be back in just a moment to talk about grassy narrows with uh, David Gray Donald, who's been patiently sitting here. I've seen him wanting to reach for the microphone a couple times. maybe he'll maybe he'll throw in some uh, retroactive commentary as well uh, after this break. But first, I would like to introduce our, our uh, to some of our special guests that you haven't heard yet. Uh, uh, Jeff and Andrea are a, uh, our artist collective team as well as accomplished musicians, and if they have not yet patented uh, chalkboard international art they should do so uh, as the uh, Jeff doing all the wonderful art over the center for social innovation uh, happens also both to be a pair of justice warriors, not always exclusively about the environment, but it comes up enough. Uh, And I've asked you to come in and share uh, some of your musical talents with us as well by guest DJing. So uh, Jeff, uh, please uh, maybe do a a quick introduction of yourself
3: if you like, and then tell us what we're going to listen to. Thank you very much, Darren. And thank you for having us on your, uh, on your green majority show. Um, uh, yeah, we, are, we founded Bureau of Powerlight Art Collective a couple years ago. We do intentional art to try to make uh, the world a better place in whatever way we can. Uh, we thought today, to start things off, to celebrate Canada Day, and because we're talking about uh, the pipeline, um, we want to give a shout-out to First Nations uh, folks in Canada and uh, celebrate uh, the people that were here first. Uh, we're going to play a tune called Working for the Government, uh, by Buffy St. Marie, remixed by Tribe Called Red, and uh, you're listening to Green Majority on CIUT
0: 89.5. All right, we are back. I'm, I really wish we could actually play all of the music choices, especially when they're so excellently chosen. We don't, but we will be listening to all the information about how you find that, and you can check out Bureau of Light and Power as well on the show post today. So if you enjoyed that song or if you want to learn more about uh, what Jeff and Andrea do, you can check the show post today at greenmajority.ca. Without further delay, however, I would like to introduce our uh, uh, our guest today, which is David Gray Donald, who is a uh, Canadian journalist as well, writes for a wide variety of independent, uh, uh, ver- to varying degrees of independent journalism, ranging from uh, now Toronto, which is, uh, for those of you who are not in Toronto, kind of like a... It's like a, a local rag, but it's sort of thing. It's like a free newspaper. But unlike, I think, most free newspapers, they do quite a bit of actual journalism. It's kind of it's neat because you know, every city I've been to has an independent journalism. Now it seems to have a little more tank on it as well. The Toronto Media Co-op and you've previously done stuff for Vice and a whole bunch of other news outlets as well. Uh, David's going to talk to us today a little bit about uh, a couple of articles he's written about the grassy narrow. So I will simply pass it off to David now.
4: All right. Thanks, Aaron. I'm um, great to be here. And <clears throat> I have a little bit of a tickle in my throat. But uh, I'm going to get through this, and this is going to be good. I'm really happy to be talking about Grassy Narrows First Nation um, in northwestern Ontario near the Manitoba border. Um, and the name in the um, indigenous language, like uh, the Anishinaabe Moan language of the community, is A. Sub P. Sko Siwagong. Grassy Narrows is world famous, um, and not for the good reasons. Um, I'm going to start with a little scene in the Ontario legislature that happened um, last month. So a bunch of youth from Grassy Narrows were sitting in the legislature watching the, parliament, uh, watching the Ontario politicians talk. And they were talking about Grassy Narrows First Nation and the mercury poisoning that has been there since the 1970s, uh, 1960s actually. And the youth um, then were wearing these shirts that said, water is sacred these blue shirts that say water is sacred, oh, that say water is sacred, and uh, they, got, they got asked to leave because having um, a motto or some sort of advertisement on your clothing in the legislature is not permissible. So they decided to keep the shirts on and walk out instead of take their shirts off because they believe water is sacred. Um, the story of Grassy Narrows is pretty heartbreaking. Um, there was a pulp and paper mill... Uh, operating nearby in the the river system, the Wabagoon River system, and it dumped about 10 um, tons of mercury in the 1960s um, and didn't tell the residents living downstream um, in Grassy Narrows First Nation. Since then, people have had a lot of trouble with mercury poisoning. Um, They can't eat the fish in the lake, um, Clay Lake, which is teeming with fish. Like This is a lake that is just packed um, with walleye and they can't eat it, although some people still do. Um, so this fight has been going on with the Ontario government for, for many, many years, um, and it's well-documented. Um, scientists in Japan have studied it. Um, but something new came up in the last little while that people might have seen, which is a study was released saying um, the government has been trying to let this um, water system remediate naturally, They'll just sort of let the mercury flush out or, um, get buried by sedimentation. Um, so it just like gets buried in the bottom of the rivers and lakes. Um, it seems that hasn't worked. Mercury levels are still very high. Um, and so the study has said there's a, a number of ways that it could be remediated, including sort of putting more sediment in the water to bury it faster. Um, now, New news came out very recently through a Toronto Star investigation. There are 50 barrels of mercury-containing liquid that were illegally buried near the old pulp and paper site, um, and no one knows where they are, what happened to them, um, and they they just don't know where to find them. So there's mercury, there's an ongoing source of mercury, is what the scientists have been thinking, but they couldn't prove it, And then this guy who was part of burying the mercury in uh, the 1970s, he just anonymously, or not anonymously, his his name is known, um, but he sent an an email to the Ontario government about eight months ago saying, hey, I think I buried some mercury behind the old site in the 1970s. um, And the government supposedly uh, did not act on this. Um, The mercury, as far as we know, has not been found. Um, The government has at this stage now um pledged some money to to studying um, mercury levels in the the area and to try and find a source, the source of mercury. It's a bit of a back and forth right now with um, the government and the first nation because the first nation has been studying this for a very long time and the government you know the individuals in the government switch all the time so I think the government in, in a little bit of a case is a uh, struggling to figure out what they actually know like what they have on file and um the the ontario um, the ontario minister of environment and climate change glenn murray has has been sort of saying we don't need to do any more studies now is the time for action you know he's really gung-ho and then his government is like oh we need to do some more studies um and kathleen wynn has said that, that there's going to be action but it's not really clear what it's going to be kathleen wynn is the premier of ontario um, the other side of Grassy Narrows, and why it's actually f- really famous in the activist community, is that since um, December 2nd, 2002, they have been um, blockading a logging road in their community, um, and it's still going, 14-year logging blockade. Um, there was clear-cutting happening in their on their lands. And I'm actually just going to read um, quickly a little thing that Judy Da Silva, who is an elder in the community there, wrote recently in uh, the Dominion magazine, which is of the media co-op. The init- and this is her writing. The Anishinaabek have been closely tied to the land and water since time immemorial. It's the lifeblood of our culture and way of life. The logging industry's devastation of the land and water has effectively destroyed my people in all aspects, culturally, economically, and socially. I call logging genocide of my community. Our people were up against the wall, and we saw no choice but to stand up and act. And they have been, this is the longest running blockade in Canada, uh, logging blockade in Canada. Um, the, ki- the youth of Grassy Narrows recently put out a music video um, called Home to Me, um, which is super inspiring. They're very proud of where they're from. They're bringing their um, traditional culture back. It's, a, it's a quite an amazing story of, of sort of resurrection, of uh you know faced with this mercury poisoning and with clear cutting of their like huge swaths of their land they're still loving where they're from um, and standing up for their health and for for their culture um, so I, I i'm really inspired by the youth there and the elders um, I think that's most of of where we 're at with grassy Narrows right now um, we can open it up maybe i just to, to recap like There are buried barrels of mercury somewhere, haven't been found. Um, Government says they want to act on on this mercury problem, but um, it's not clear what they're going to do. So...
0: uh David, first of all, thank you very much. And uh, part of the reason I appreciate you, you know, having you on the uh, the show, and, and other similar local journalists as well, is that uh, you, you guys have the, the ability to sort of hone in and, and narrow in on things that, that just it's just beyond the ability of us to do here. So mm-hmm. I mean, thank you so much for coming and sharing that. Uh, we don't talk, uh, we've mentioned this before, and Stephan and I talked about uh, this on the show before. That unfortunately we end up sort of. Uh, you know opting not to talk about certain First Nations issues is not because we're trying to censor it it's because we don't we, we, we understand how devastatingly little we understand about it and we don't want to it would feel like it's almost more damaging to talk about it inaccurately than to not mention it in this case and so uh, you know thank doubly do and, and I'm glad that we're, we're on Canada to take taking such a focus uh, on First Nations communities the, the first thing that really jumped out at me about what you said was that it was a, that I had to stop myself from jumping in at the, at the beginning because I did promise you you'd have a, at least a minute of solid airtime <laughs> without me interrupting Was the was to feel the need that like as a context thing, right? Mm. So when you said uh, you know they can't fish, in my head immediately I have this thing where I sort of I've sort of trained myself to listen from other people's ears and like what would what would X Y Z people you know how would they hear that? And and I'm worried I don't know, but I'm I'm concerned that a lot of people would hear that and go oh poor you you can't fish, Mm. taking that from the point of view of like your average you know suburbanite with a cottage. Oh, you can't fish. Well, too bad. You're, you know, you're, you're, go boating instead. No, 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 no. That's, this is not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the foundation of their culture. And the closest thing I could come up with, and you tell me how f- far off point I might be with this, was that it might be similar to telling your average Torontonian, you know, suburbanite uh, that they can't have the internet. Like, it doesn't. Actually destroy their culture, but it comes pretty close to to eradicating the way that they live their life in a in a debilitating way that that fundamentally alters how they live their life. I I realize there's a there's (laughs) a disagreement there, but just as far as like I'm not trying to say like that's an accurate comparison. What I'm trying to say is like that's the level of impact that we're talking about. Like about you know if you people freak out if they don't have the internet for two days. Well, these people have lost a significant part of their culture for. 35, 40 years. I don't want to say, but they eat the fish.
4: Yeah, you don't eat the internet. Yeah, they, yeah, like, like yeah
0: no, but, but from the point of view of people that don't understand that as like an intrinsic fundamental part part of no, a culture, no, for sure. they might but... just say, well, just go to the grocery store and eat bread.
1: Right, right. But, but, like, but like I think... I, I, I understand what you're trying to get at but i think this is even more fundamental than anything this is literally like this is one of the two this is both of the two things we say are required for life water and food like this isn't like this isn't something that's sort of a necessary part of it this is literally what they need to survive and that's the first time i've used literally in actually the literal way in at least a year yeah but just just uh, yes, and
0: I understand it might be misviewed. Uh, what I said is you know it might be taken the wrong way. But what what I'm trying to get at was that when people, I think when people who aren't aware of what, you know a what a what a non suburbanite you know North American culture is like, may simply hear that and dismiss it, thinking well whatever, just go buy some macaroni and cheese from the store, and they they may not have any understanding of the depth. Uh, and 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 the seriousness of sort of what you're saying. So uh, yes, to acknowledge yeah. that, and just so, so that nobody misunderstood what I was trying to get. For at.
1: sure. And I guess what also is it wasn't uh, important to mention is the number of people, the actual overall he- overwhelming health impacts that mm. people in the Guyanese are actually currently suffering. The amount of mercury poisoning uh, is is overwhelming yeah. and and devastating.
4: Yeah. One of the one of the people who's uh, 19 years old, um, Darwin Fawcett. Um, from grassy narrows who did a lot of work making the music video that i mentioned home to me um he suffers from from mercury poisoning where uh, has trouble walking and um strength issues are a problem so like uh holding on to things um is an issue for him um yeah the the fish is so much a part of of life and uh i think what I, what, I want, what I take away from this example in particular is um, well, the treaties that First Nations um, and Canada signed um, allowed for people to continue their way of life um, hunting, um, ga- fishing, gathering. Uh, this is really taking away a pillar of life. Um, and so these people, like the fish are there, they're like people could eat the fish except they're poison. Um, so this is, is one of those cases where it's sort of like, why don't people, um, you know, why don't these, you know, in, in white Canada, I hear stuff like, why don't these First Nations, uh, uh, like, you know, if they actually care about hunting and gathering, why don't they do it? It's like, well, they really can't in this case. <laughs> Although some old people do because they're like, as a matter of principle and pride, they still fish.
5: And I think another another huge thing that people don't really realize is that when you have mercury in water, we've already talked about this on the show, when 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 that's introduced to the to the fish in the area, that's bioaccumulated and biomagnified. So smaller fit uh, bigger fish eat the smaller fish with mercury poisoning. So in the bigger fish the mercury is biomagnified so when the person eats it then it affects them a lot a lot more and I think in grassy in grassy narrows it's hundreds of times more, more p- like parts per billion than it should be, um, yeah, I think for it's over, for yeah. around
4: 150 times in some cases. Yeah.
5: Exactly. So it's it's extremely and the Minamata disease, which is mercury poisoning. Um, what I really find interesting is that they had the Japanese, uh, the Japanese scientists come to come to review what it is, just to see the side effects. But it seems like they didn't really do anything about it. They just kind of wanted to study it.
2: Yeah, and I just want to jump in, and, and David, you alluded to this a bit, but the ma- one of the major points of friction is that there has been this study, I believe, that was commissioned by Grassy First Nation, yep. and it involved the original scientists that actually studied the issue. Um, and basically a huge point of conflict is now um, that the First Nations believes that the government could take measures to reconstitute the area. And the governments, as you said, sort of said, whoa, no, we're not sure that that wouldn't do more damage than good. And so really we're seeing the science that was commissioned uh, by the First Nation come up against the government position right now. So they are they are, they are in a way refuting that and saying, oh, no, we need more time. Whereas, you know, the First Nation has contracted a lot of experts to come and give another opinion, which seems to point at this time to the fact that measures could be taken on behalf of the government to reconstitute the area.
4: Yeah. When we get into the remediation science, and thanks for bringing it up, um, the the general um, idea is to do what is called an enhanced natural remediation, which would be to apply basically like, dump um or mix in a whole bunch of dirt into the water like clean dirt and then the clean dirt will will settle on the um lake floor and bury the mercury once it's buried by 10 centimeters or more it's effectively out of the ecosystem um only like a giant earthquake would mix it back up um in now i think what the ontario government is alluding to in terms of doing more damage is um basically like excavating parts of the river floor or lake floor, which is not what is um, recommended for the lakes because this digging stuff up could mix things. Um, But there might be small sections of rivers that have high mercury contamination that it might make sense to do a bit of dredging, some excavating. Um, But that would be a very small area um, because sedimentation doesn't work as well in fast moving rivers. Um, I think it's, more so, it's, it's the government trying to buy time um, and avoid making a, a firm commitment to do any one course of action. Um, and they've, I've, I've asked them through email several times like, what they're committed to doing, and they're going to do studies this summer about what, what sites are more and less contaminated, which they say is in line with the study. Um, there is a bit of friction between the First Nation and the government still, um, and it's, it's going to be developing.
0: So I think right before we go to our, uh, our second break here, I think the the last thing I want to get at, and, and uh, so Stefan and I sort of waxed on about this uh, several weeks ago, but we didn't have you here, um, so I'll just simply repeat my comments, see what you think of it. it. Was just that the the idea here is it seems to be there seem to be a lot of delay, 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 delay. Uh, you know, we this doesn't need to happen, and that, and as you were outlining, there is. In context, you know, it's not the full story, but within parts of the story, there are legitimate arguments as to why not to do, do certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not. Uh, I don't think this is a completely a case of just like. Haha! Ha, screw you. Um, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. But uh, all of a sudden, there has been all this attention, uh, sort of focused on it and put on it. And my comment before, and that Stefan and I were talking was essentially this was a case of uh, Stefan. You'll remind me who this was that we were listening to at that conference. But the guy that was like what, had the con- told all about the conversation with the politician, and he was like, "Yeah, but it's not going to cost me any votes." Keith Stewart. Thank you, uh, okay. Keith Stewart, making that comment about. And do you do you feel? And I realize I'm just asking you for your opinion here, but do you? You feel this is a case of not doing anything about this problem isn't going to cost me anything, and doing something about this problem might, or or what?
4: Um, I think it's going to cost them. They're going to look bad. I just I was reflecting last night that um, I think today the 149th birthday of Canada. We're going to look back on this last year as the year we realized that um, this nation has been engaged in cultural genocide um, since its founding. And I think people won't let this kind of environmental racism stand. Um, the the remediation costs are expected to be quite low, sort of around $5 million a year, which when you compare that to a lot of government services is, is very low. And this has been happening, like poisoning and literally killing people since the 1970s. Um, I think there is outrage about this. It's, it was front page of the Toronto Star a little while ago. People are taking notice and they don't want to live in a province that... That poisons um, people. I think it will cost some votes. Um, at least if, if if it seems like the government is negligent. Mm.
0: But that that seems to be the thing that has kicked them into action. As sort of as what we were pointing out it was that when it didn't, when there wasn't enough attention on it, that it wasn't costing them votes. They were happy to not do anything about it. Mm. But now, you know, and the situation hasn't really changed. I mean, there's this new report, but I mean, ultimately, the, the the situation is the same. But it's now that people are paying attention to it. and They're doing something about it too. And this so this is a case of. A, you know, don't give them complete credit. They're just watching it for their own butts. But also, B, I think the other thing to highlight here, and, and I'll give you the final comment before the break, is, is also like, hey, talking about stuff works.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, I'll give you the final comment. And we'll go to break.
4: Yeah. And I'd, I'd give a shout out to the people who have been fighting for this particular case for years because this wasn't getting traction for a very long time. But people kept fighting the activist community, the indigenous community. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Here,
0: here. Alright, so uh, we're going to go to our second and final music break. Thank you very much to David GrayDonnell for joining us. He will be sticking around uh, for the final section, possibly to jump in, and hopefully as well uh, the bonus show. Uh, if you're uh, a new listener in any way, you uh, may not realize, but we are a live syndicated show internationally uh, at this point as well. We have a number of stations in Canada and some outside uh, as well and extremely diverse and uh, And I do watch the metrics. We have uh, podcast listeners from all over the world, most recently uh, with some ticks from Brazil, Stefan. Oh, fun. Uh, so we're always picking up people all over the world. Uh, the One of the perks of the podcast is that we do have an extended section that is off air that allows us a little bit more freedom uh, occasionally there's some naughty language but uh, it's all in good fun and uh, we just sort of let our hair down uh, a little bit in the section so if you're curious to hear even more if you're not sick of us yet go ahead and download the podcast you can find that at greenmajority.ca and there's other information and other content there as well but without any further delay once again jeff uh from bureau of light and power i always get that wrong is that right Uh, Bureau of Power and Light. I always get it backwards. Thank you. You got the words right. (laughs) Uh, uh, Please uh, please, uh, preview our next music break for
3: us. Thank you again for having us, Darren. Um, So all of this talk about poisoning, poisoning our environments... Um, And talking about government action There is also another narrative in this And this is our own actions and what we buy And our lifestyles that we live that contribute to this So uh, one of our first projects From our uh, our collective Called Maggot, M-A-G-T Has a song called Footprint And this song is all about that The choices that we make And the the consequences thereof on our environment So here it is, Footprint by Maggot Uh, You're listening to Green Majority CIUT 89.5
0: And we're back here listening to The Green Majority here on the CIT 89.5 FM, one of our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country and now internationally as well or possibly on the podcast or on uh, as well uh, off uh, rabble.ca who's uh, also a place that uh, our, our mid guest David Gray Donald has uh, published as well also happens to promote our podcast which is fabulous so we like them uh, and uh, but that we're running a little tight on time so I'm going to cut the chitty chat and throw right to I believe MA who's going to introduce our first international story MA
2: well before I get there I'm just going to wrap up the Canada and review section so mm-hmm. Just a few comments on some of the key steps um, that has been taken around addressing climate change by our new government. So the year basically kicked off, they were coming off their sort of high from participating in COP 21. And um, basically, they had taken the position that they were going to tackle this problem in collaboration with the provinces. So they went to Vancouver and they came out with the Vancouver Declaration. And guess what? There was no new emissions reduction target that came out of that. And the key policy point, I think, that the Liberals had hoped to really gain a lot of ground with, which was around carbon pricing, was pretty much derailed at the Vancouver climate conference because not all the premiers and you may guess which ones were on board with carbon pricing. Um, So that led to the creation of some working groups on carbon pricing and clean energy and jobs, etc. And it sort of brought us to the current state of affairs, which is the fact that the government is doing these national consultations. So you might note that your local liberal MP is hosting a, a consultation near you. And from the civil society side, it it gave way to – or gave rise to the launch of the People's Climate Plan, um, which has three principles that um, are being put forth to government, which is um, that we want to build a plan that aligns with the science of climate change. So this commitment around keeping global average temperature rise under 1.5 degrees Celsius – the desire for a plan that builds a 100% renewable energy economy by 2050. And lastly, there is the justice-based principle. So they want a plan um, that's justice-based and really looks at the principles of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples and also addresses the fact that workers are being – are being laid off and put out of work, and the transition needs to support a new type of employment. So with that, I will move straight to the international context, um, which is the fact that the North American Leaders Summit has just taken place in Ottawa. It's been almost a decade since Canada hosted this uh, summit, and basically, um, the the leaders are very proud to point out that this the summit had really produced some good outcomes for climate and the environment. So one was this uh, commitment to to having fifty percent of energy be clean energy by twenty twenty five. And this is a bit of a this is a bit of a false achievement for Canada because if you look at what's included in the energy mix, they actually include nuclear in that. So. Uh, it's not as wonderful as what it seems. And Canada, if we include if we include nuclear, has actually already surpassed this. <laughs> so this is not a great achievement. So we,
1: we're saying we did it.
2: Yeah, we're, so, go, we're basically saying we did it. And of course, that's not true for the U.S. and Mexico. But if you're including nuclear, it's not quite as clean as being um, projected there. And then the the other commitment that was related to that that came out of this was this commitment that we had heard from Obama and Trudeau after their last meeting, which is to cut methane emissions from the oil and gas industry by as much as 45% from 2012 levels by 2025. So I think Stefan had a few comments on this uh, leader summit. Yeah.
1: Um, what, what I find interesting about that methane cutting is that it gets brought up all the time, and it makes me just think it must be really easy. Like the number of times that people have come out, you know, even oil and gas leaders come out, and that's their, that's their thing they want to do, uh, it, it's, it kind of scares me because it kind of feels like they've decided that they're going to take this target which sounds audacious. It sounds like a very very deep goal. Um, but they throw it around like it's like it's like it's candy and, and and it makes me seriously wonder how how much are we wasting right now that this is something that can be sort of consist that can be trumpeted as, as 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 something as like a main point by basically everyone. Um uh, they also, of course, agreed to try to reduce uh, black carbon uh, soot emissions and find alternatives to HFCs, which remains a uh, remains a, a pet uh, pet amusement of mine. Uh, given the fact that the ozone layer is actually healing, that was a fun news story that that I that I wrote. To say that we're not covering this week, but maybe we'll get to it next week. Um, also we had an avid listener Dave call us thanks Dave I think that's not my brother for those who know that I have a brother named Dave I think it's someone else I think it would have been meaner had it been my brother but thanks Dave for the call uh, and and to switch to carry on to uh, in our sort of qu- quick fire of all these different international stories I teased this before uh, which was Moody's uh, now taking in four measures uh, to assess the infrastructure of corporate sectors in the light of the UN uh, agreement to keep low, global warming below two degrees Celsius uh, of course Moody's is one of the largest Accrediting agencies, they're the most commonly referenced. Uh, if you're paying any attention during the debt uh, during the debt ceiling crisis in the United States, uh, or a lot of, this, uh, or or even to more recently with Britain, uh, they are the they are sort of the standard bearer of, of 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 deciding how you know basically basically why this matters is if people it's it's the chance of which you will pay back your debt, uh, and the worse your credit is uh, on according to Moody's, the uh, the higher interest rates you will get. So it's harder to then actually. Get debt, or to get out of debt, because you're paying high interest rates. Because I think you're less likely, or you're less, you're less good person to do. This. Also, uh, the rate, the manipulation of these of these of these different things are, is what caused the debt cri- the crisis in 2008. Uh, so, there's a whole bunch of things going on here. However. Uh, the Moody's actually, is, they've taken four measures. And the four measures are uh, policy and regulation, uh, regulatory uncertainty regarding emissions and policies, uh, declining profitability and cash flows due to capital expenditure and operating costs, demand substitution and changes in consumer preferences, uh, and technology developments that accelerate the adoption of low-carbon technologies. Uh, and so a lot of this is, uh, you know, especially within, within, within something like coal, uh, which you know has already as most most people who are looking at the gold market understand that coal is coal is debt uh especially in the uh especially in the in the in the western context uh in part in part because of these sort of, its inability to actually get uh to get funding for new projects it's, it's 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 it it cannot find new funding project for new for new projects uh and so can't ex- expand in our in our in our system requires you to expand or die uh and so that's the so that's a good little piece of good news along with the ozone for us uh but Darren you have uh, you have a you have a sort of a a pet interest in one of the news stories we wanted to cover uh so I'm going to tease to you for the, I think what will likely be the last story of the, of, of this show.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Steven. I, I'm actually going to cheat cause I'm going to shotgun four into one, but I'm going to use the one you were teasing in, uh, as a main thing. So, uh, there, there's one story that really grabbed my attention today called, uh, the title of which was Florida declare state of emergency, a uh, local emergency over influx of God, awful toxic algae. Uh, that does not really do it justice. Um, uh, really do go to the website and look at the links. If you can't find the story on your own, it's on the guardian. Uh, the pictures are absolutely horrifying like it doesn't look like the face of earth uh, except for the boats that you can recognize in and among it uh, blue-green algae is really nasty stuff um and it's algae so people aren't going to take it seriously um but it uh, as a byproduct when it dies and uh, maybe in the bonus show we won't have time now but maybe in the bonus show uh, sabina our local science expert uh, will maybe uh, wax on about this a bit more uh, but it's really nasty stuff it's extremely toxic uh, it's uh, extremely likely there it's virtually certain it will uh, impact local marine life. Uh, It's also causing rashes and respiratory issues. Uh, Basically, as this uh, blue-green algae dies, it produces uh, a toxin. Uh, it also, I mean, if nothing else, the least of which is that it's a, if causing a foul smell and moving down uh, the coast of Florida, and basically that you can't do anything about it. That's that's one of the the big issues here. Um, so there's really no remediation for this problem other than waiting for it to go away. And when it dies, when it goes away, the process of going away is when it produces most of the toxins. So this is pretty serious. So I'm going to tie this into. I'm not even going to get into. Them. I'm just going to mention the headlines. Wildfires engulfing the West Coast are fueled by climate change. Uh, this is not the same story I'm repeating. This is yet another issue of wildfires, uh, yet another system of floods. Uh, as well, there's another quick thing I'll mention here, which is the millions exposed to dangerous lead levels in the U.S. Uh, report finds, which is basically saying that the the issues that we're seeing in Flint water, with all the the controversy there, uh, that there's dozens of cities that are probably more uh, that also fall into this category that simply haven't made the headlines. So the one I want to end on, which is not uh, which is not the one I started with which is the one Stefan thought I was going to tease uh, because I actually forgot about this story and we can't not mention it uh, as well we may get into this later but it really only needs a a line of comment which is unprecedented scientists declare global climate emergency that which that phrase gets used so much I don't think that will get people's attention so let me draw your attention to it after jet stream crosses crosses the equator so for those of you who haven't taken a climate science course or have not been paying attention when scientists talk about like those things that we should be really terrified we have to be terrified of them maybe happening this is one of those things and it just happened, uh, because this could, uh, uh, very likely not could like, Oh, it might, it might not. It will very likely, especially if the trend continues, which like, you know, it does if we know what caused it, uh, lead to essentially the elimination of regular seasons, which in case you're not paying attention means no food production, which in case you're not paying attention means billions dead with a B, right? So am I guaranteeing that the, from this news story that next week there'll be a billion dead? No, but we're clearly on the path to it. Uh, Dave, we're going to have to save for bonus show. I know. Sorry, you had your hand up to jump in there. Uh, we're out of time. All right. So now we'll go to our bonus show. If you're listening, uh, we'll be right back. Other than that, have a good Green Week, folks. That was our program. We have an ex- uh, an extended bonus show this week, uh, running a little bit long, but we have so many guests in the studio. It's really excellent to hear. So you actually hear uh, from, as well, our, our guest DJs. Uh, please do continue to listen. It's a little bit long, but I think you'll find every minute of it uh, valuable. So uh, don't stop now. You're just about at a really good part. Uh, quickly, of course, as well, if you can support us, uh, we'd really appreciate it. We do need your support. Uh, you can do that right now by going to patron, dot com slash majority. Become a member help support rational discussion about the environment here in Canada as one of Canada's only environment news programs. Thank you very much and enjoy the bonus show.
5: Hi and welcome to Green Majorities After Show podcast. Today we are an extremely full studio, so that is pretty awesome. And I'm just going to kind of start up where Darren left off about the blue-green algae. Um, I've researched a lot about it, and actually it's not very new that blue-green algae is in Florida right now. Lake Erie has been covered with blue-green algae for years and years and years. The government actually did a really good remediation project in the 70s. So, there is potential to be to, for it to be remediated. The actual issue of blue green algae is that there 's an excess phosphorus and nitrogen which comes from the agriculture industry, so it runs off into the lake and this increases the nutrient um, the nutrient cycle and it it increases so the algae then Becomes a lot more and more Due to the excess nutrient that's there So how they usually fix it or remediate it Is by stopping agricultural runoff And also by... Um, uh, nitrogen fixation or ni- uh, phosphorus fixation, so they they starve that out. But the actual main issue, why it's toxic, is because blue green algae has um, a- at the bottom of it. There's absolutely zero zero oxygen. So when it uh, when when it gets trapped at the bottom, there's zero zero oxygen. So the toxic that that gets uh, created is botulism or what we know is botulism. Uh, that that toxic, and um, if it's in our food or if it's in, for example, if you see tuna can. With air inside it Never eat those Because there's botulism in there So if you see like A raised tuna can You'll probably die from that (laughs) Uh, Good news The more you know The more you know This was uh, a good uh, Beginning to this And also Something that I found Really really interesting From this week's news Was that the beauty industry Has now its own Green seal of approval Which is really really good Because a lot of our cosmetics As we mentioned last week Or the week before that A lot of our cosmetics have have a lot of toxins in them that we don 't realize because of proprietary information and um, now there 's uh, third party auditors for for the chemicals let 's say if you have all natural or organic. Uh, chemicals or in your in your cosmetics, then you'll have this green seal of approval so that uh, major corporations don't greenwash and say, this is uh, natural, which means nothing. So I, I don't know if anybody has a comment on that or on something else. Uh,
0: yeah, just the, the one thing I found really interesting from that article, Sabina, was that um, they were talking about the same labeling process applying to uh, wine. And what the wine industry, according to the article anyway, had found was that uh, the labeling itself, uh, the wine companies were still using the, the, the certification process, so they were still acquiring the rights to use the labeling, but were not putting them on their bottles because what they were finding was that the customers, at least when it came to uh, wine, were not willing to pay the price premium. However, what's really it was more interesting about that was that the by by attaining the, the reason they attained the certification anyway was that by doing so it actually improved the product, and so by simply having a superior product they were able to charge the price premium, but it was in no way correlated to the actual labeling. So I, I don't have a conclusion based on that. I just thought that was very interesting. Uh, I personally, as a as another segue though, however, uh, I would be very interested to hear uh, Jeff and Andrea to jump in on anything we talked about on today's show. Uh, just. Because you were you were silently listening, and, and you guys uh, frequently, text, or at least Jeff, uh, will text me during the show with comments frequently. Uh, so, as regular listeners, with your first chance to actually be on the show in any way, I would love to hear something from you guys.
3: Well, thank you for having us on. Um, I, I I guess I touched on our last uh, with a musical choice we made in the second segment of the Green Majority show, um, which is uh, one of our. Uh, projects from our art collective, uh, the Bureau of Power and Light, the band's MAG at MAGT, uh, is It's electro dance band, basically, that talks about issues in the world and brings awareness to the dance floor. So it's a way to engage people and, uh, and, and dance your ass off, but also maybe reflect on some things in the world and maybe think a bit differently about something or maybe go and look something up because of the lyrical content. That's our hope. Um, but that song in particular... Talks about What are choices That we make In our lifestyles And that's something That I find Is missing from A lot of the narratives When we talk about Environmental issues And we talk about um, Looking at big dirty corporations and what they're doing to the world uh first of all they're beholden to shareholders so there's people there's shareholders that are perpetuating that cycle as well we can't all point at ceos and, and corporations but it's also the choices we make and the things that we buy and if we blindly buy things and not look at where they're coming from the labor practices that are involved who got screwed over or what land got screwed over or you know who now has cancer because their their drinking water is contaminated because there's a factory that's up the river that's making shit that I'm that I'm. Can I say that? Yes, yeah. okay. on the bonus show you can fucking say anything you fucking want <laughs> to. That that, that, uh, that I'm contributing to that, right? And that can't be missing from the narrative. It can't be missing. Our good friend Rob Shirky... Uh, who you may have mentioned on your show, or actually had on your show, I believe. Rob right?
0: show, yeah. Rob is a frequent contributor. Yeah.
3: So you know the our horizon climate warning labels on gas pumps is that very thing. Is it's bringing it back so that you're not just saying you dirty oil companies stop. We, you know you we have to bring you down. Well, we're, we have to turn around and look at what are the products we're buying that requires all of that and. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. That's a big part of the narrative and that's something that needs to be addressed is our own choices that we make that contribute to the environmental issues that we are talking about and that you cover on your show
0: yeah i think the other point there as well too and this is sort of what your guys sort of take on this is as well is that you don't need to separate not only you don't need i would say you shouldn't try and separate sort of entertainment or enjoyment and things like music and art uh, i mean art kind of more obviously but especially music as well from these ideas and that it's not necessarily always a downer right so like your song isn't about like feel depressed because the world's dying no it's about make better choices and be aware and it can be an uplifting. and it's
3: positive it's positive you know we can all make changes and we can all do that and it really does start with the choices that we make that that, that's where it really does start right? right it's the choices that we make every single day is where why the the world is in the place that it's in right now
2: yeah, and making cho- making choices based on the education that um, like people on our show today are digging up and bringing to the rest of us, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to have our eyes open and we want to have our ears ready. We want to be listening to the people on the ground um, who are living, um, struggling with the environment, and who are um, telling the rest of us about it. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And dealing with the consequences.
2: And dealing with the consequences.
0: Yeah. So let, let's open it back up there as well. Uh, we have several other people in the room as well. I know, Emma, I think you were trying to jump yeah, in. Yeah, I, I
2: totally agree with what's being said because I think a lot of the time um, we have a bit of a doomsday tone and we're always telling people what not to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what is really positive is providing people with alternatives so sometimes if if people don't see alternatives in front of them in the marketplace for example um, I think the cosmetic story is a good example of that. I was just the other day looking to buy a certain makeup product and I was in a mainstream like cosmetic store and I, I had asked about whether they were carrying any lines that um, were less toxic or had any sort of green labeling. I was just curious um, to see what they would come up with but for somebody like me, in that particular instance where I'm playing the role of consumer, if I know that there's a certification, I will make that conscious choice. If I, if I don't think there's any option available, I'm just going to buy the same old thing. Um, but I, I also think we need to aggregate up this up to a higher level because I absolutely think we're, we, are, we can be empowered to make good individual choices. But I also think the same kind of thinking applies. So we've seen a lot of fear-mongering around um, the sort of pipeline story and and really people being led down the path that we have no choice but to include pipelines in part of our solution to get there. And what we're seeing is a de-emphasis on accelerating the alternatives. That So there's this real sort of incremental approach that well, we've got to move our product somehow so it might as well be that way, rather than stepping back and saying, okay, here's what the science says. So here's where we need to arrive. What Investments as a society are going to actually get us there and how quickly do we need to accelerate the path to getting there. And that's where I think it, you go from individual choices to actually saying, no, we need to hold our government accountable for putting public funds to actually accelerating those other alternatives. So it, we're, we're coming at it at both ends, and it's not one or the other. It's mm-hmm. actually both. Yeah. I think
5: I completely agree with you, which is why
2: the Moody story made
5: me really, really happy. Because when money is behind something or when people are trying to get money, they're going to change their ways. So if you have this huge agency... Uh, saying, okay, you need to abide by these laws or else you can't get that million dollars that you need in order to continue with your project, then people are going to change their ways. I, there's a really good ana- uh, like analogy of this um, about how fire uh, fire stations were started and it was not because towns were like really good Samaritans. It was actually insurance companies <laughs> started fire stations because they didn't want people to have, they, they started insuring those houses and they didn't want to pay for the houses that they were insuring so they started fire stations and so change can be made from the mon- from those big insurance financial institutions because that is where people go and so when we see for example the beauty industry having a seal of approval and also the insurance industry saying okay we're going to look at carbon markets Then that's all coming together both from the consumer's point of view, like making better choices, and also from the corporation's point of view, making better choices.
0: Uh, A quick comment, and then I want to warn Stefan and uh, David that I want to go to them uh, on this or something else. Uh, But my quick sort of final comment on that is that – you know what (laughs) – I'm always thinking from, like, the, the macroist scale. That's just how my brain works is to zoom out. And so what I found really interesting about that story among everything else was that, you know, we have a uh, – a well, essentially it's a business. So they're charging companies to do this, which fuels the research. So, like, this is they, – they have a, you know, a business model for this. Uh, but what always jumps out at me with this sort of thing was, okay, so you've ranked a bunch of products uh, according to safety. How have you done that? You've done that by uh, looking at scientific studies. Okay, so we have science-backed information about things being demonstrated bad for you anywhere from this is negatively impacting on your health to this is almost certainly going to give you cancer eventually it's just a dice game of how you know when and where you will get it Um, at what point do we go hey here's an idea if we know these things are that bad why are they allowed to be sold so it just it it sort of amuses and frustrates me and as much as i'm sort of happy about it i'm also like why are they even allowed to sell these products why is it even legal to sell a product that we have scientific evidence for is like an you know 80 chance that over your lifetime you'll get cancer or something i mean and who knows i'm not saying that's where the threshold should be but at what point do we go hey maybe they just shouldn't be allowed to sell that Stefan, jumping in Uh Dude, cigarettes, well, that's the most obvious example. Yeah, like,
1: like <laughs> uh, you know, there's the the reason is that people don't like being told what to do. That's the reason. Like there's 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 so many like you know, it's a lot easier to it's a lot easier to to, to ban things uh, that people don't fully understand. But at the same time, the reason is that it's this constant battle between between uh, a um, a sort of like uh, nanny state that's you know that's quote unquote like it's this weird battle between pr- like protecting the protecting people while all, but also not giving too much power to the to the, the government and, and you can see it in different how different how different people are reacting to different governments uh, you know it's the same reason why right now the democrats are trying to push the uh, push a gun gun control measures through the United States uh, based off the terrorist watch list and the people are against this are either on the la- are are it's a bipartisan against it because the question is the terrorism watch list is a very imperfect way so is reducing some guns but, but giving that kind, of ins- that kind of immense power to the state a safe or not safe thing to do. Um, but thank you for providing me an excellent segue uh, to the one thing that at one point I wanted to make sort of on this entire thing uh, and tie in one story that was actually that we were meant to get to that we didn't, uh, which is that I spent the last month basically uh, depressed about the world. Uh, For a variety of reasons, whether it's Orlando, Joe Cox, Brexit, I could go on. Um, But, like, uh, so I've had a very generally low opinion of where the world was heading uh, this month. Uh, And what I've been thinking about really in that case is this, like, the the battle between slow progress uh, and, 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 it not being seen everywhere. Because like, I feel like right now, the, the entire the, the entire situation we, we've built up, we've built up through slow progress. Uh, and we've been kept telling people that slow progress is the way to go. This, you know, like, oh, look, we have a new thing to regulate whether or not health products are going to kill us or not. Uh, Incredibly, like, you know, after a long time, and who knows if that one will work or then it will be the next one. Or, oh, look, we have Trudeau who's at least saying good things about climate change. Slow progress is winning. Uh... But then at the same time, we're seeing this, I think, it's both a generational gap in two different ways, uh, in that the people who've heard slow progress forever um, are, are realizing that we, we're, we may be actually slowly building a more sustainable world, uh, but but, we're doing, but at the same time, we're also building a more in uh, world, at least in the West. Inequality has been increasing in the West. Um, and, so, and so you're telling people that the world is getting better, but they're not seeing it. Uh, Which creates this fuck the system reaction uh, that, you know, that Brexit and Trump are perfect examples of, Uh, you know, that they're like, we've, you've been telling us for the last 50 years that you're making the world a better place. And what do I see? I see myself losing my job, being left out, being, you know, and, 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 and being left behind. Um, and then I think and, and 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 I understand that and then the exact op, on the other end of the spectrum you see this something the, the story I wanted to cover was this reaction of Al Gore's daughter getting arrested at a Boston Pipeline protest uh, and talk about a, a, a dramatically different reaction uh, from you know a generational divide of how you're going to go, go to fight climate change. Al Gore becomes vice president, then doesn't get anything done. His daughter locks herself to a in front of a pipeline and at least delays a pipeline for five days. Uh, and again, I'm, I, I don't know a lot about Al Gore's daughter, um, although that she seems to be pretty badass uh, from this literally one line that I've read. But I think it highlights the the difference between I think how how i think there's a the a divide on the left is uh it's time to actually st- it's, it's literally time to th- like to steal i believe a marxist reference throw yourselves on the gears of the system uh to stop the churning of our environment uh which is something uh, it, which is the same kind of reaction to a system that we've been telling people has been getting slowly slowly better uh and i don't know i don't know where this all ends leads us and that's what concerns me is i don't you know it, we've been try- We've been battling these two sides for so long, and like I'm a generally a slow progress kind of person, but I also, when you see the timeline scale we're on for climate change, it's just a, it's just you. It's there's just not enough. It, it's not the slow to progress is not going to get us there fast enough. Yep. Well, uh,
3: yeah, um,
4: I can jump in quick. Something you said was like uh, people don't want to be told what to do, and uh, I remember the the CEO or sorry the chairman of the board of Google, Eric Schmidt. He's famous for saying, people just want to be told what to do. <laughs> and that's what Google does, is like it tells you, mm-hmm. you start typing in a letter, and then it's like, you want to do this. Um, and I think that's like, the, the lack of imagination on the, the environmental or like the f- left um, has been a big downfall. Like We haven't been able to tell people, like you can do this instead of suburban um, car life. Um, the Leap Manifesto is one attempt at that. Um, and it's gone through the very like predictable process of... Um, first, it got ignored by mainstream media. Um, and then they laughed at it. And then they tried to fight it. Like, the, Brad Wall, the premier of Saskatchewan, is trying to fight it. And now it's kind of like, oh, there's maybe some good ideas in there. Then, then you fight, and then you win. Um, I don't think the Leap is winning at this stage. I think it's in the fight mode. But... Um, Proposals like that are getting a bit more traction. I remember some pundits in Canada were like, "Oh, but Canadians aren't leap people; we're mm-hmm. we're slow change people." Um, so I just I just thought that was interesting. Yeah,
1: <coughs> Jeff, did
0: you want to jump in? Uh, I, yeah, sorry, if I can just jump in for a second and say we're we're running about a good on time. So why don't we make this a, a final comment from everybody? I've got one, but go ahead, Jeff.
3: Um, I how do I sum this up in one? Little, uh, I.
0: Oh, you don't have to be fast. It's just the last thing you get to say.
3: (laughs) As far as progress, uh, progress is such a, I don't even know what it means, uh, progress. What does it mean? Who knows? It's been used in so many different contexts. Progress for us has been destruction for so many other people. It's wiped out. Progress for for the West has wiped out uh, cultures. Progress for us has destroyed the environment. Progress for us has, has, has brutalized people. So progress in that sense, I don't know what that means. Progress as far as environmental issues and slow progress. There's people dying this minute from... The effects of of our industry Uh, there's there's people that need help this minute that cannot wait for legislation or cannot wait for well a two year plan a three year plan Well, the people need help right now and I think if anything it's it's up to us to create the space for those people to have a voice Uh, because we need to make change we need to talk to the people that are being affected by it and not a bunch of uh, white dudes sitting in a room thinking this is what's best for the world, because we've already done that and look where we are right now. We need to listen to people that are being directly affected and listen and learn.
0: Yeah. I think excellent comment, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, who would like to jump in MA and uh, Sabina, would you like to make a closing comment?
2: I was just sort of reflecting a bit on, you know, Stefan's last comments. And in, in my view, what I think we really need is, is to achieve critical mass and that, that, speaks also to the points about inclusion, that we need to reflect a diversity of voices in this critical mass, and that includes people that are most immediately affected in their communities, but it includes everyone else in in shouldering that responsibility as well. And so when it comes to movement building, I think we need to build a strong movement that is demanding accelerated change and, and to some extent, comes more into the mainstream. So, when we, I, I'm just thinking about Pride um, because, you know, we've had recent events. Um, You know, in Orlando, which remind us of how hard fought those rights are, but it also showed, I think, the way people are resilient and the way people rallied around things that concepts around human rights that have been integrated into our societies, right? There was actually an overwhelmingly positive response. Um, in society to what happened and that shows to me that we have made progress at least on some fronts and we need to see that same kind of progress when it comes to climate justice and we need to have it fast so I I just want to leave off on a positive note that I think that's where we're headed but the more we build an inclusive movement um, that doesn't isn't built on on differences but is built on understanding that we're all in this together even though it doesn't impact us all quite the same that it will impact us all i think we can get there
0: sabina's passing all right uh, sabina's gonna pass uh, <laughs> stefan uh, do you have a closing comment
1: uh i guess my closing comment uh actually goes back to something uh david said uh which and and ties in what emma said is i think the i think the i think i think I think that the way the critical mass is 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 found, and the way that and to, and I, and the way I think that that I'm ties into David's comments, uh, were, is that. We we have to sell a better story, uh, and, and not a better story in not a better story in uh, in in sort of how we communicate climate realities, but a better story in that you know that the white picket fence sucks, mm. like you know that, that the driving for two hours is not a good way to live. That mm. you know that communal living or that or that that connective living is actually a happier, better place to be. And and, and David's right that the, the idea that that's that's not something we've even been trying. Uh, you know we've been spending this time except basically being like trying to take the, the changes we want uh, uh, that you know things like low carbon energy and force them on the dream that's being sold by you know by the by the suburban uh, the, the people who benefit from suburban development, uh, and you know, I, it reminds me of the uh, tennessee Coates book uh, in which he just talks about this sort of the dream, uh, and it's and it's this it's it's a it's an amazing book. And you should definitely read it. That's between the world and me. Uh, but it includes this idea of what and it's it in the same it's just as accurate for climate folks in that like we've accepted the dream exists and we've tried to craft our messaging on top of it being like you can still have the dream but this is it but that's that we can't win that fight Mm-hmm. the The fight we can only win is saying actually, you know what's better than you know everyone owning a hammer is having one hammer that you get to t- and you get to meet someone cool while you get it. Uh, you mm-hmm. know what's actually better than going to the supermarket on Sunday and winning in stupid terrible lines is actually knowing a person who, who who you know grows fruit down the street and meeting them while you pick up some apples. These are the kind of stories we have to actually be winning on because that's actually how you make a you make a story. Uh, mm-hmm. And as much as I, I thought of this recently, and I'll I'll, I'll end on it, uh, which is that. You know, as much as as much as Donald Trump is an absolute fucking idiot, saying that we're going to start winning again really does have a nice ring to it. Uh, you know, like like well, yeah, like you know, and, and 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 it speaks to something that feels like people are losing all the time. And the way you make people feel like they're winning is that they actually give them a better life. Uh, and being and we've shown being around communities is the way to give people a better life. Uh, so let's actually show people that we can win in a way uh, by with strong communities because that actually was make people happier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right.
0: So uh, I I had a a closing comment, but I think you guys covered most of it. I just sort of I'm gonna I'm gonna lead out by quoting a. uh, I can't decide if it's a good movie full of bad actors or a bad movie full of good actors, but I I honestly can't decide right now from the top of my head. Uh, But a devil's advocate. Or any of the other movies that quote that line about, uh, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Well, sorry, that's usual suspects, but uh, mm-hmm. as well. But the whole idea is, you know, we, let's Brilliant. let's all agree. You know, we have, you know, right wing people and left wing people all disagree about what, the, about what the solutions are. And that's fair. And we should have a healthy debate about that. But I think one of the things that both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders uh, is demonstrating from the American elections right now was that the classical idea of sort of political lines – uh, are disintegrating, and what we we 're increasingly getting is a system where most people do actually agree on what they want to improve they 're just disagreeing on how to go about doing it um, so uh, I mean sort of the two comments about that is one is that 's verifiable let 's go check some facts instead of just yelling at each other and by the way, you know Stephen Colbert I think once said uh, facts have a well known liberal bias, but you know hey let 's have that conversation uh, but uh, the the idea here is that you know the the world I think is in the movie you know whether we're talking about Brexit or Trump or anybody else or Bernie Sanders the world uh, you know the people do have a taste for some extreme change right now uh, let's not now is not the time for slow and steady wins the race now is the time for let's just win the damn race and uh, and that means moving a little bit faster so I think you know Canada uh, is you know doing some great stuff uh, but let's not spend this Canada Day patting each other on the back let's say let's be let's be even better let's not accept relative best because we're better than, you know, well, we're better than so-and-so. Let's just actually be the best. Uh, And let's, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for listening to this extremely long Canada Day and Pride uh, edition of The Green Majority. Thank you so much to all of our our guests, David Graydonald, for coming in, Uh, the uh, musician artists uh, behind uh, Bureau of Power and Light. Did I get it right? Yeah. Uh, And of course, uh, welcome back, uh, M.A., and uh, thank you for coming in, Stefan and Sabina. I've been your host, Darren Kaster, and thank you for listening. We'll see you guys next week.